Hello, this is a brief content warning. This episode will deal with sensitive topics as well as eating disorders. This is part one of a look into American beauty standards and the effect on children and teens. This first episode is an introduction to this topic. In part two, we'll follow various interviews of individuals and their experiences. It is important to understand how beauty standards affect the things that we do, as well as unrecognized groups. Think in advance. Today we are going to discuss beauty standards in the United States. We will explore its themes in consumerism as well as the United States history. Today's episode is heavily focused on the historical context and the consequences. While I will be discussing many historical events, I am just exploring the general impact each had on identity rather than its full-fledged history. Beauty standards in America are heavily based on patriotism and one's identity in the larger sense. The things that we watch on TV to the products that we buy have a great impact on self-identity and who we see ourselves as. Now many of us are well-versed on ads. Advertisements have been around for centuries. Advertising job opportunities, freelance work, and products. Advertisement has a science to it, where many visual representations found on posters or artwork may a deeper message. Often, these advertisements can have a specific color scheme, symbolism, and even subliminal messages. The most prominent thing that comes to mind are early political cartoons or artwork. One of the first major quote-unquote advertisements in the United States could be said to be John Gass' American Progress. This is a staple image when people think of the American ideology of manifest destiny or westward expansion. This image alludes to the many beliefs held by Americans in the 19th century and forward. While this painting was highly acclaimed, it had a role in romanticizing the nature of American expansionism, and the disfranchisement of indigenous peoples of North America. The romanticizing of many terrible events such as war, slavery, abolition, and politics had boomed in the 19th century, surrounding these similar events and leading to World War I and II. Artwork had been means of promoting religious and societal ideologies for centuries before such as the Great Renaissance. The importance of this is to illustrate the role art and media played on American society before modern times. The politicization of art in the United States further endorsed the role societal norms played on the individual. These would influence people to think certain ways and many times emphasize very public attitudes. So media easily retained its role in their lives from this point forward especially. 
In the United States, advertising has a semi-complicated but very interesting history. In newspapers, it started off as an almanac type of media, where important news and information could be found. It soon allowed space to flaunt goods and services. This became very important nearing and during World War I, where newspapers gave crucial information for soldiers' families and even themselves. And this also gave a way to update the country and world affairs they've been engrossed in. As with many things that became politicized, this gave a certain agenda a much bigger reach than ever before. And apart from biased phrasing or articles, now different artwork and products would be able to cater to an audience. While talking about this, it is important to consider our context. This is a brief history of advertising in the United States, but I find that World War I drastically changed the nature advertising had played. This is because the newfound sense of patriotism that was published could much more easily be profited off of, and it gave certain companies allowance to flaunt themselves in hopes of promoting the ideal American. In World War I, war bonds were a system much like rations. The United States had undergone a surge shortly before the war, and many resources that had been created had to be cycled back into the war effort, with a strain on more resources being created. So advertisements for food products such as corn, jello, and bread depicted a new American family. One where the pictured people were smiling, happy, and responsible. This attitude is also shown in Liberty Bonds, a system of credit that worked similar to a loan. These advertisements could be seen in more countries than just the United States, and this allowed for the personalization of products. While giving these products a crucial role in maintaining the romantic American identity. I thought that this was all very interesting because seeing these posters, even just advertising, you know, jello or food, it's giving you an image. And of course I wasn't alive during this time, but the average family probably didn't look how they were pictured here. But there was this romanticized ideal that you compared yourself to and you worked towards. Another example of this was Keeping Up with the Joneses by Arthur R. Moment. He was an American com which was an American comic strip prominent in the 1920s. This comic strip deals with the notion of the continuous social climb many Americans sought to achieve the so-called American dream. While humorous, this comic strip displayed the strain of how some interpreted American patriotism and achieving the perfect picture. In the aftermath of World War I, marketed and social goods had become a core part of the American identity. Home ownership, sports, and luxury were what many dreamed of. This, of course, has always excluded minorities in the United States as well as other white Americans of low socioeconomic status. World War I had created a catalyst for the United States to further feed into materialism and material identity. And even with World War II following and the 
encouragement of capitalism against your other forms of government this further endorsed this market economy and even gave the role of having these things having a bigger now while works like keeping up with the Joneses highlighted the growing consumeristic nature of the United States the portrait of the average American grew also even in war averts what was pictured to be the average family many people can only dream of the life pictured these images often left out African Americans indigenous peoples and other ethnicities and even immigrants and the standards for white Americans displayed despite being optimistic maybe borderline arrogant, was not at all obtainable for many of the impoverished Americans. In a 2013 article from WJCT News Media, David Leckin mentions that FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, had allowed for the promotion of marketable goods on television in 1941. It was later that year, July 1st, in which the 10 second below the ad had aired for the first time. This ad had aired before Brooklyn Dodgers game and Philadelphia Phillies game, and like many pre-war advertisements, followed the ensuing trend to link product to nationality. The product's key phrase, America runs on below the time, while projected over the American nap. The nature of this ad had tempted more companies to follow suit and continuing the trend products were first personalized even further later ads in the following decades linked products to self-identity and the family value in a way it was many pristine commercials that had manifested the world we live in today because of that image projected on what makes us who we are and what we should value Business.com reiterates, much like before, television had ultimately romanticized the American dream and ideology for not just the United States, but many other countries. While certain products had deserved advertisements, many products were still endorsed and romanticized in the TV shows many watched. Because it was not until around 1920 to the 1930s that multiple TV stations had emerged. It was a larger guarantee that most people would be watching the exact same thing. And of course, in the early days of television, because it was an extreme luxury and something to be watched on special occasions, many families would watch television together or in groups publicly. In the post-depression United States, it was TV such as Westerns, game shows, that really grasped audiences. The Little Rascals, for one, had provided some leisure to the dire situation many Americans faced and had reignited the stolen innocence many Depression-era children and families had faced. The Little Rascals was a show many people could easily relate to and especially making light of such life as the Great Depression. Other shows such as The Rifleman, Leave It to Beaver, 
the Beverly Hillbillies and the Andy Griffin Show provided insight to the idealized American life and mythology, as well as the perceived modern family. Westerns such as the Rifleman portrayed a more mythical sense of American life. The Western-centric show was one example of many that exhibited the ideals faced with Westernization on America's behalf. From a modern lens, some of the ideas, not just the show particularly, but with a broad genre of Western, it can be argued that it's an inaccurate depiction of some historical events. The portrayal of Black and Indigenous Americans can be critiqued, as all things, but with many things even now, the inaccuracy or romanticization of harmful events or stereotypes can create this false sense of pride or identity for those who do not know the entire nature of topics discussed. Most of these shows and others I'd previously mentioned focused on the life of the main character and affairs with the family and people around them. Given the context of many of these shows taking place during times of war or depression in the U.S., many viewers can relate. From a modern perspective now, it can also be noted the typical life, even meant to be relatable, but also unobtainable for many audiences, marking the strain of idealism. These public figures and their lives became influential in household names, as well as the goal to reach war. With integration of fictional characters and realities into real life, this was the perfect opportunity for businesses to sell a product. Now, this was often done through trademark motions. A character might flaunt a specific cigarette, drink, or jewelry. A highly popular example now that comes to my mind could be Ralphie's pursuit of the Red Rider carbine in A Christmas Story, or certain toys in Andy's German Toy Story. These associations in general show me how these certain products and place in media meant to relate to drive people to buy certain products to obtain a look. And these movies were both, um, I guess, popular before my time, before I was born. But even as a kid, I remember always wanting to buy the certain clothes that they wore in Disney shows or buying certain toys I saw on TV because I looked up to these figures and, I mean, even the little pair phone in Victorious, a lot of kids wanted that even though it wasn't a real thing. And it brings up a memory of being a kid um, you know, before you got a phone or a tablet or a computer, making your own so you can act like your parents or a TV character, um, folding a piece of paper in half and pretending you're typing, kind of like that. And in a much more broader sense with adults, you can put a bunch of effort into different things that you might not even be able to have um and this can lead into a much more critiqued analysis on like the government or economy where the American dream is just disingenuous to many people 
and you can say you can just go to work or college and work the rest of your life to become successful. But for many people, especially those of immigrant families or born in poverty or who are just not in the same social status as many others, it can be harder to do that. Now, many of the examples I have talked about involve physical products. While many of these things still hold true to my thesis, it's important to understand the psychological products that are also sold, the ideas that are sold in television. In modern media, which I interpret as the late 90s to now, it is often looks that are sold. Many of us cannot help the way we look or how our bodies are built. So why do we put so much strain into changing our appearance or natural features? Makeup and personal grooming has been a part of our world for centuries, and using things are not even bad. The underlying issue is media selling a certain image many cannot achieve, even with makeup. Plastic surgery and disordered eating are probably the loudest examples of this. In the late 20th century, specifically the 90s, even early 2000s, the wide norm in the United States and some other Western countries was being thin. This, of course, is a loaded statement. People of all body types have existed before now, so how could only one body type be the norm? Science People offers a broad timeline of the beauty standards for women throughout history. Listed, it's shown that the swinging 60s, especially in London, is when the fuller expectation for ladies had faded. Before this time period, despite having many changes, the woman being fuller and farther from skinny was the longest time desired and seen as beautiful. This new attitude of women being skinnier and more fragile-seeming had stemmed from sort of a counterculture to combat the widespread disarray that the world was facing. This later grew to be featured a more active woman, a tall, more muscular girl, who was still slim, and that was more of the 80s. And and that, that kind of gives me, personally, the context of how the 70s and 80s are kind of stereotyped um, to kind of be like Zumba or the um, exercising, the spandex and tights and leg warmers and headband um, to really fit this kind of hyper-athletic view. And this is really interesting because then later in the 90s, um, it was kind of the opposite because while the 70s and 80s had promoted a more strong and muscular woman while still skinny, the 90s had featured a more concerning idea. And this is where you see your very thin people and like your drastically changed features. And this goes without saying, these trends were different from being naturally skinny. And especially in the the later 90s and 2000s, it was more popular to obtain this 
almost impossibly thin look or appearance. And this was further reiterated by your media, and it was especially prominent in fashion. And one of the most important things when discussing this is how the emergence of the internet and different social websites, these were greater influences. Because while before you have trends based on different movies and TV shows and people copying that persona at school or at work, now you have the pressure, that peer pressure that often influences one to pursue a certain identity. Now it's online, so there's more of those people. I think I said that twice. And this increased the strain of looking this way and fitting in. And so whenever you had these types of trends being shown on runway, TV shows, movies, the early internet websites, and even clothes, because one thing about fast fashion and most clothing brands is they keep it they keep up with trends like (laughs) let's be real no matter how great they are most of the time they keep up with trends if they're not making them and so you have this entire aesthetic that everyone seeks but you need to fit the body to match the aesthetic and that was the main attitude had came about all of this in 2002 a social media site named friendster had emerged with hopes of competing with site Six Degrees, which had been declining. Friendster, much like social media sites today, allowed users to network and share visual media with one another. And the site had in record time reached over 100 million users, something never seen before. History Cooperative explains how this site had been one of the first major social networking sites ever and how it helped lead the way for other services that are still relevant today. LinkedIn and MySpace followed in 2002 and 2003, with MySpace becoming the largest social media site worldwide. And MySpace also became an extremely high-grossing platform with a net worth of nearly $12 billion and a type, deriving from NS Business Hub. MySpace was soon surpassed by Facebook, which today has over 2.6 billion active users around the world. Facebook is then preceded by Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. It was not until the influence of social media that disordered eating had skyrocketed. While these issues, of course, have always existed, people have resorted to disordered eating to sustain historical beauty standards 
Social media brought unhealthy habits and pressure to an entire new generation of the more easily impressionable people. It's important to think the emergence of social media, many of these people were college aged and younger. And so the sense of peer pressure and fitting in and even being more gullible and thinking that these habits are normal or fine. We were feeding these people this type of thing, which made it become a phenomenon. National Eating Disorders.org lists many studies on these statistics and now had a diagnosis of sick individuals along with hospitalization has drastically increased since 1999. Jasmine Farduli and Linear Vartinian write in a collegiate report about the impact of social media and disordered eating. BBC's Futures, The Complicated Truth of How Social Media Affects Body Image, references this study and states how many university students who are female compared themselves to peers and online or television personalities. These habits were endorsed especially on sites such as Tumblr, which had dedicated accounts and pages for disordered eating. Tags such as Thinspo, Proana, Meanspo, etc. had all endorsed these impossible body standards. Under these tags, teens found bullying or Meanspo which were specialized to provoke binging feelings, self-deprecation, and were essentially a way that you triggered yourself into not wanting to eat or eating too much. And these just endorsed more dangerous ways to lose weight. And this was being supported by others. So social media had not only influenced the wave of distorted eating, allowed for people to create a community dedicated to promoting these dangerous habits. Many of these accounts and pages were not support, and while now there are more groups online about supporting different conditions such as a depression, PTSD, anxiety, and eating disorders to help one cope or find coping mechanisms and ways to get better or become the best version of yourself that you can. These pages were harmful. They provided insight into how you can lose weight fast, how you can become extremely thin. And in a way, it almost became a competition for individuals who just joined or individuals within these groups to who could weigh the least. And it was just dangerous. And I feel as a teen girl that it's just so sad because especially when this took place, I was much younger. And because I wouldn't want my younger siblings or cousins or friends to look at this and think it's okay. And I wouldn't want any other people to ever do this. And 
I just think of how impressionable I was as a kid, how this could have affected me, my friends, my family. And the same case goes for everything. Business Insider and other publications write on submeasures social media companies have taken to combat the spread of dangerous information and the romanticization of these eating disorders. One move is Instagram removing certain hashtags and deleting content that flags as promoting eating disorders or self-harm. This is a move reflected across Tumblr and many other social media platforms. In the recent years, however, more body positive messages have been implemented. For people who have been on Instagram or TikTok in the past couple of years, then you'd know that more body positive cards and stickers have been shared immensely, and more teens such as myself constantly rally for the inclusion of all bodies. And this is important because it lets other people, people like me, you, anyone, know that they're seen and acknowledged and totally valid. Because whereas before, it was this one certain body type being romanticized and praised, many other people were discredited. Because even though if we look back on these times and associate a certain physique to an era, that was only the minority. And I can't imagine how it must feel for, or how it must have felt for the others. And one thing I definitely relate to, having been born in the 21st century, is like not seeing people with my type of body as much I remember in like dance and gymnastics, even swim. It was always disconcerting having um, a less European body than my teammates. Um, most of the time I would be the only black girl in my sports teams. So our uniforms wouldn't fit the same way on me. And of course, that didn't make me feel very good. Um, and even going to a predominantly white elementary middle school, the norms that you see and how you see other people, it really affects you. And I find it kind of, you know, almost sad that even now I'm just realizing that there's tons of people that look like me and there's nothing wrong with my body. But it's how even little kids make fun of people who are different or people who are more developed or less developed. And, like, I remember being in elementary school and, you know, I'd hear people talk about, oh, you're flat. <laughs> and it's kind of like, why? That just... It's just really ridiculous, in my opinion. Um, and this really leads into how American beauty standards are not just harmful for women, but also men and minorities.
Many times, discussion towards beauty standards only targets white or Caucasian women, as well as teenage girls. This is dangerous because many older women, men, and minorities face consequences of seeking out conformity. In a manner, in a manner similar to war-torn America or politically driven media, minorities are not included. Pictured minorities can either conform to a service role, such as the Aunt Mammy caricature, chefs, or caretakers. The lack of inclusion of minorities apart from service roles or stereotypes leads to many feeling disconnected from their nationality and even self-identity. This is one reason why there's now much conflict around certain things like non-Black people wearing box or tribal braids, specifically linked. African culture and slavery. As well as fashion, many clothing trends, specifically the Y2K aesthetic, which stemmed from hip-hop and urban culture, linked to Black Americans and minorities. These now cause some discourse for the reason many people's culture was once exploited and ridiculed is now treated as a disposable trend. The appropriation of ethnic and indigenous culture is bizarrely an issue that it's an issue that bizarrely offends more people who are, than who are directly affected. And as a girl who has lived through many of these issues, it's really insult it's more insulting to see others bothered by the fact that they can't appropriate certain cultures. The misconception that culture cannot be shared is more often than not confused with appropriation of a culture. Or in other words, embarrassing or <laughs> embracing a culture that interests you and is meaningful versus picking and choosing certain aspects of a culture and using them in ways they are not meant for. This is the difference between learning how to do black hair versus wearing box braids to get likes on Instagram. Or claiming it as your own invention. And it's cultural appropriation is a very sensitive and complicated topic for many to discuss. And many people have different interpretations of it. So, but it definitely plays a role into. American beauty standards, because for many people, their own culture and their own things aren't even seen as beautiful. And I'm just saying that's sad because as a country that is supposed to be a mixture of all cultures of the world, and it's not. One thing that I talked about in my English class last year was America being a melting pot versus a mixed salad. And for a long time, they teach that America is a great, wonderful melting pot. But as you get older, you kind of realize the issues that that really poses because it's pretty much assimilating into a great American culture that many never even had the chance to do so rather than embracing the many differences that we have 
as one American identity. The underlying issue with a lack of appropriate representation for minorities does not allow for everyone to even love themselves. While American beauty standards hurt everyone, it is even harder for those who have a completely different skin color or hair type or physique than those who are supposed to represent us. Many black girls are chastised for wearing a wig, straightening or perming their hair. This is one of the issues I actually find the most appalling because the Europeanization, I think that's um, of ethnic peoples in America has for so long stolen our identities. And this can be traced back to slaves having their hair shaved, indigenous populations being barred from speaking their own language and practicing religion, and the assimilization into a stagnant culture that never had space for you. This was the black women being forced to perm their hair to be accepted, find jobs, the Christianization of indigenous people, and the overall attitude that you are of no culture outside American. This is an issue that still affects us, and without acknowledging these issues, how can we even say we've ever progressed? Hiya, I hope you've enjoyed this first part of beauty and consumerism in the United States. And, of course, I'm open to critique and further corrections. This is a topic that I would love to explore further in the future. And I feel once I have the chance to speak with some of my peers and others about this and their personal experience, it will offer even better insight and conversation. One thing I definitely would love to do is to have more or find out more in-depth analysis to the various topics that I explored, and maybe that would be the next series I do. But all in all, I just wanted to thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Bye.